My next guest is the general manager for Snooze AM Eatery. Please welcome Byron Holden. Byron, how's it going? Doing well, RJ. Doing well. How are you? Hey, doing okay. First off, I want to say thanks for joining the podcast. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Glad to be on. Okay, cool. So let's jump right into it. What do you do? So I am currently the general manager of a restaurant called Snooze and AM Eatery. It's a breakfast brunch restaurant here based out of Denver. We are one of about 44 restaurants right now, and I am the GM of one of the Austin restaurants, the North Lamar location. Nice. Okay. Now, let's start with Snooze first. The food, the type of food they have, the, the atmosphere or environment, hours, and what it's known for, things like that. Absolutely. So <laughs> Snooze is a, like I said, breakfast brunch restaurant. We are open every single day of the week, 6.30 to 2.30 p.m., which is definitely one of the draws when I joined about four years ago. <laughs> But it's a lot more than that, at least for those of us that work for Snooze. It's really a culture driver that we try to make in every community that we're in. It's probably the only restaurant I've worked for, and this is maybe my sixth or seventh concept, that really focuses on community activism, on sustainability, and really a a culture of just people taking care of people. We just happen to be a breakfast restaurant. And that's what we always talk about when when I interview, when I the orientations. I really say we are a company that takes care of people. We just happen to do that in a breakfast brunch environment. So it's always been about fun, playing games, playing, you know, pretty loud music, people dancing in the in the aisles, staff having fun, guests having fun, bright colors, the energy should pretty much slap you once you walk in the door. And it's really, really great food. You know, we're one of those that it's a pretty intense menu, but Uh, As my wife says, the menu is just a list of ingredients because we really encourage our guests to customize everything. You know, Mm. we think we've made a really creative menu. It's seasonal. It's uh, responsibly sourced ingredients, local if we can. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's the guest experience. And so we really try to encourage them to, hey, this is your breakfast. This is your meal. This is your experience. You tell me what you want, and if I have it, I'll make it happen. And that's really what we focus on every day. We have a motto for our company. It only takes a moment to make a difference. And again, a lot of restaurant companies, hotels, they have mantras, mottos that are really hospitality-based, whereas mm-hmm. ours is a way of living life. It's just, hey, we live, we live our lives moment to moment, and what's the best way that we can maximize on every single moment between that guest and snoozer or employee interaction. And that's what we really try to do every day. And that's what I've been entrusted to uh, manage every day. Nice. Okay. Well, I didn't know about the community activism. I love the place, love the culture there, the atmosphere, love the uh, French toast, the blueberry pancakes and the uh, corned beef hash. So really do love the place. Now you mentioned the uh, culture driver there. I guess that stems from you being the GM. So so what I think of a GM, I just think of kind of a jack of all trades. There's someone that wears so many different hats. You talked about driving a culture, dealing with the daily operations, product preparation, hiring, firing, recruiting, maintenance, repair, retention, all of it. So that's what I think of when I think of GM. Can you talk about what it is to be a GM in your words? Absolutely. And, and of course, I mean, like everywhere, GMs are going to be a little different at every different restaurant. Yeah. Uh, coming from my background, being an eldest brother out of three, 
being a dad, being a husband, playing football, lacrosse, being a coach in those sports at some point in time. Like you said, I look at a gym as being a jack of all trades. Now, if you want me to get in my kitchen and cook, that's probably the one thing I'm not going to do. Uh, I can I can do it. But, you know, what takes my cook about five minutes to make is going to take me about 30. But everything else really is under my purview. And so, like you said, it really does encompass everything from, let's say, a technical building aspect, right, repairs and maintenance, making sure the bills are paid, making sure that, you know, our orders are done. And of course, I have AGMs and head chefs and sous chefs that help along with that. But ultimately, the buck stops with me. And so every decision that goes on within the four walls of that restaurant pretty much are made by me. Now, they might be discussed in a team aspect, And I always really try to focus on that culture as well, that I am not solely making the decision, but this is a conversation. This is a dialogue. I want input from everybody. And if I'm the one that puts the stamp on it, then that's what it is. But ultimately, this is a team sport. So even if I'm the coach or the captain, you know, I want everybody to feel as though they're involved in this if if they have input. So from a cultural standpoint, so Snooze, when we started, I guess now 14 years ago, the reason that our founder started was because he had worked in restaurants and really wanted balance. He wanted balance between being able to do what he loved to do, and that's being food and beverage, be at a restaurant where people love to come and celebrate, whether they are birthdays, anniversaries, holidays, or just that extra 50 bucks they had in their pocket. No matter what it was, most people go to a restaurant. It's a choice. And you know, to be the head of a place that people are choosing to come on a day-to-day basis it's a big responsibility to make sure that you're really trying to appeal to all of those things, whether it's like we said, the bachelorette party of 15, 30 something year old females, or I have a standing breakfast for the executive provost of UT and about eight deans every first Friday of the month. And so it's how do you appeal to both of those categories and everything in between. And so on the surface, the culture is how do we give the best experience to everybody? But underneath that, it's a culture of individuality, and that Mm -hmm. has to start with me. It drives through my team when we talk about even as little what is the the uniform. And we're like, hey, we want you to be you. We hired you because of your personality, because of your skill set. When you meet me, I'm different from every other GM and snooze, and I don't expect you to be like every other server, cook, dishwasher, AGM, whatever it may be. And that individuality, that culture driver bleeds onto the guests. And that's why everybody feels comfortable coming into a snooze. Because, right, you go to a snooze across town, their guest clientele might be completely different from ours. We're surrounded by three different hospitals. We're at the bottom of an office park. We're right next to a pretty affluent neighborhood in Austin. And so we get a lot of that, whereas there's another snooze. They're right next to downtown, so they get a lot of visitors, pretty much that millennial group, 25 to 40 people that just want to party and then go out to the lake or the park. And so when we say that, hey, snooze can cater to all those people. And so for me, that's my main goal as a GM is really making sure, you know, yes, you have to deliver the product. And the product is a clean restaurant, a restaurant that functions. And that's on both sides. You have to deliver a product to your guests, but you also have to deliver a product to your company as a whole. So it has to has to make a profit, has to be has to operate in a in a responsible way, but I also have to create an environment for my staff to feel comfortable to express themselves and to be their best so that mm-hmm. then they can deliver product to our guests. And, you know, I always say to them, as GM, I work for you, 
as far as my staff, my staff works for the guests. And yes, right. I do touches and things of that nature, but I'd probably say about 95% of my job is behind the scenes. And really, I only consider 5% of me physically being on the floor, helping out on the floor, talking to guests, things of that nature. But it's really the 95% that happens, whether I'm in the restaurant or not, my job doesn't really stop so much when I'm out of the restaurant. But yeah, I mean, you know, and it that can entail anything, again, from what I do in the restaurant, as far as coaching, being a mentor, being an example, and like I said, all the things behind the scenes. But I'm also kind of that big brother, that uncle, that dad figure to a lot of my staff. You know, my front of the house staff is probably on average, an average age of maybe 22, 23. Mm, Um, Okay. And so I also look at it as a GM of such a restaurant like Snooze, because it is kind of a younger vibe as far as the people that we employ that I'm also an example of what they could be, but even an example of professionalism within this kind of casual, fun environment. Because if you let it get away from you, then, you know, as they say, you can let the inmates run the prison. Um, <laughs> you know, it can get a lot of hand, and we definitely don't want that to happen. But I think that's the biggest thing, you know, it's, it's being that mentor to a lot of young kids who, right. this is a, a middle ground for them. They're in school or, you know, in between stages of their life. And I understand that this restaurant industry is a very high turnover industry, unless you get into upper management or corporate or things of that nature. And so for me, it's also sustaining a culture of stability while knowing that I probably have employees for, I'd say in the restaurant industry, you're lucky if you have someone for four or five years. It's more on average as far as an hourly position, probably between nine months to a year and a half is probably the average tenure of someone in any one restaurant. So it's, again, like you said, it's a lot of things going on. And when I walk in, I start thinking about what my day is going to look like about two hours, like the moment I wake up and hop in the shower, going into the restaurant. And the one reason that I got into restaurants, because I like the unpredictability of it all, even as much as I can predict what's going to go on on a day-to-day basis, what I like is, yeah, you might have that difficult guest. You might have that amazing guest. You might have right. a, you know, an order that comes in on time. You might have where the truck got pulled off on the side of the road. And, and it's those things, too, that make it exciting in that not one day is ever really the same as another. And that's the other thing. What I probably feel myself, you know, I have a head chef. He's a great guy. I mean, I wouldn't really trust my kitchen to anyone else above him because, I mean, he's super clean, you know, has a culinary background, and you don't find that a lot. But it's the unpredictability that he just can't handle. I know why we are in the positions that we're in. Again, I don't want to go in the kitchen and cook, and he doesn't want to deal with that. Um, So, um, But I think that last little piece is the unpredictability of every single day and what happens, that you really have to have a GM that has a pretty stable mindset on, hey, even amongst the chaos of the storm, I want to be steady. You know, I want to make sure that everything, and I mean, believe me, RJ, it's been everything. I mean, everything from a water heater going down to the city, knocking out power, to belligerent guests, to homeless people coming in. I mean, it's it's everything. And thankfully, I've been there for most of them to kind of get the situation under control and get it handled to where then, because if it's always sunny in your restaurant and nothing ever happens, you know, there's a small level of trust, but you just kind of go with the flow. It's really in those difficult situations when you show your worth and how you deal with that. And I mean, you can only imagine 
COVID has really shown an example of the metal that you have as a GM and as a manager. And Snooze has probably lost a good number of GMs, like most restaurants, because they aren't able to handle the instability that has been caused by this whole thing, having to lay off an entire staff for weeks at a time without knowing who's going to come back, all that type of thing, trying to hire during this. I mean, you know, trying to conduct an interview in a mask in a restaurant that is built around community is kind of difficult. But it's one of those things that I think that you really show your worth when you have to deal in unstable times. So. Right. Wow. Wow. Now you're in one of the fastest growing cities in the nation, right? And with that, I'm guessing there are changes in people in general in the city and changes in staff, changes in guests. So with that, are you seeing yourself having to adapt at times because of this or not really that it's still really the same type of culture and same type of people that you're seeing in your area? It might be a little bit of both. So Snooze, again, being based out of Denver, up until 2016, most of our presence was West Coast. So, I mean, mm. for Colorado, Arizona, California, those were our, I guess, 12 to 13 restaurants at the time. And Texas was the first outpost in 2016. And then we've kind of grown a little bit more eastbound while still growing that Western contingent. So with a lot of people coming from the West, they understand what Snooze is about. So we don't see that much. I mean, I think I'm always still surprised when someone says they've never heard of Snoops. Because I mean, again, when you have 40 some odd restaurants nationwide, and again, you know, if you're coming from New York, they're coming from Chicago, or something like that, or even Florida, right, you might not have heard of us, because granted, there's no snoozes there. But it's a big enough concept that at least it has a presence. And for the most part, Snoops does kind of pull in a certain clientele, especially on the weekends. It's again, it's if you want a quiet dining experience, Snooze is not the place for you. Um, and so, and a lot of people know that. So, uh, right. you know, so to a degree you do see, since Snooze is kind of built around a young professional clientele, even though you might get a little bit of everything, I think with Austin growing so fast, it is that young professional kind of very non-traditional clientele that is coming into Austin. And so that's almost seeping right into our wheelhouse. The only thing that I'll say is that, and not particularly that I've seen it with Snooze, but I've just seen it in the industry in general, is just that, and I'm sure every generation is like this and probably sound like an old fogey when I say this, but just as you see younger and younger people come in, it's definitely a mindset of instant gratification versus the process of a dining experience and what that entails it's crazy when you're on an hour and a half waiting you have 50 names on the wait, and a guest literally comes in 10 minutes after they put their name on the wait and asks okay so how much longer do i have and in my nicest way i literally turn the the wait list around and say well you came in about 10 minutes ago and i still have 40 people above you so you still probably have that 60 to 80 minutes left and it's just one of those things that i you know, when I used to work in different concepts and even maybe similar concepts five, 10 years ago, you just didn't see that mentality as much. So I think that's the only thing. And, and thankfully, our concept is very, it's a one-stop shop. You're not getting appetizers, entree, dessert. You're ordering once, you're maybe a first, second, maybe third round of drinks. But instead of a, let's say a traditional lunch dinner experience of an hour to an hour and a half, it's really about 45 minutes to an hour. So Thankfully, that kind of feeds directly into that instant gratification mm. mindset. But even with that, sometimes it's not fast enough. You get your food in 20 minutes, they want it in 10. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so you see, I think, a little bit of turn of that. And again, it just pushes us 
to be better, faster, more efficient. We're constantly thinking of how can we be more efficient? How can our kitchen be more efficient? Can we switch this around? Can we make the computers look different? Can we change the ordering system? You know, things of that nature. And we're doing it as a company, but also doing it within the four walls of the restaurant. Because again, we're about a mile and a half from UT. So we probably get the brunt of it just every single year. It's a new 18 to 22 year old 50,000 students that right. are probably going to be your immediate clientele because they're only a couple blocks away. And so with that, you definitely get a lot more of that. And you, you will see it. August, September, it's kind of like a big push. And then we settle. But then again, you see it in January and then back again in May, June and kind of throughout the summer. So it's a little push and pull. But I'd say if I had to give one to the other, I'd probably say it's pretty consistent. With okay. just those little flashes of just kind of like every generation. And I have a four-year-old now, and so who knows what it's going to be when she grows up, if I'm still right. working at this, what the expectation will be. But definitely with this younger crop of clientele coming in, you just see it's a, I want everything now. And even if they right. see the restaurant and it's packed and they're waiting in our breezeway with a hundred other people, it's still, well, where's my food? Where's my table? Even if I walked in five minutes ago. So, so yeah. <laughs> Wow. So, okay. Now, earlier you mentioned that your role is very unpredictable or your days are very unpredictable. And you also mentioned that 95% of what you do is behind the scenes. So I know there's not a typical day, but can you run through what your day would kind of look like on a general basis? Yeah, for sure. Most times I try to open my restaurant. I just like to be there. If anything goes wrong before we open. So we open at 630 every day, like I said. So Mm -hmm. I'm normally in at 530 every morning. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing a little bit of admin, probably for about 10, 15 minutes, you know, just double checking the closing manager and the financials, posting sales. But I'd probably say for about 30 minutes right before we open, so maybe 6 to 6.30, not only am I doing the small amount of setup of making sure the restaurant's ready to open, so setting the tables for, you know, we have a cleaning crew normally that comes in every single night, making sure that my servers, my baristas, they're coming in on time and they're ready to go. But anything, that's normally when you find, okay, well, this a piece of equipment's not working or this order didn't come in. So that's kind of my admin time. Mm. But right, 630, I'm unlocking the door. And at least for the first hour, hour and a half, I'm on the floor. Mm. I want to be physically on the floor when the first guests walk in. I think it's a good thing. It just kind of sets the tone for the day. It sets the tone for me. It sets the tone for my staff. And you always kind of want to start off with a good guest experience with that first yeah. person in the building. And then we kind of stagger our staff as well. So for us, we don't bring everybody in at 630. It's no need. So I don't even have a host that probably comes in until about eight, maybe okay. 830. Probably have two servers that come in and open the restaurant and then stagger the rest in for the next hour, two hours. And then my barista and the kitchen kind of does the same thing just to kind of work on labor pieces. But yeah, so I'm on the floor for probably about an hour, hour and a half. My second manager will probably come in at 7, 7.30. And then at that moment, we're slow enough to where I could still pop in the office for about maybe an hour, hour and a half to do any other type of admin. So that's really when I probably started looking at my emails. If I have anything from my regional manager, that's probably when I correspond with him. If there's anything that's coming up in the day, I'll talk with my AGM and my chefs just saying, hey, you know, let me try to take care of this now. Orders, all those type of things we try to get done probably within the first two hours of being open. Because for especially for our restaurant, for us, our prime time is probably between 9, 9.30 and 1.30. So for those four hours, I'm on the floor. 
And that's going in between the front of the house and the heart of the house or the kitchen. If I'm in the front of the house, I'm touching everything. I'm going behind the bar. I'm touching tables. I'm looking at food. I mean, I'm literally trying to touch every single... I mean, I'm walking the bathrooms. I'm walking the breezeway. I'll walk our patios. Because for me, you know, I'm constantly trying to teach those beneath me to have a similar mindset, but it's that kind of 30,000-foot view and see everything. Yeah. You know, for some of my junior managers, they just see what's going on in front of them. And so they might just be standing at the host stand, but they miss that guest that's looking around because they don't have something. Or they miss helping out in the kitchen because we only have one runner that day or whatever it may be. So I probably get in, you know, and I, I have my watch that even tracks and I probably get in about 10,000 steps, if not more, within those four hours because I just don't stop. Oh. The other thing with that is that to me, a GM on the floor when my staff sees me, when it, I guess it's twofold. When my staff sees me, they push themselves to work harder mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, there's a lot of managers. They stand in the corner and they're kind of point and shoot managers like, oh, you need to do that. Oh, you need to do that. I'm not that guy. I've always been a lead by example type guy. So I feel as though if I'm busting tables, if I'm talking, if I'm running drinks, my staff's like, oh, man, I better get on it. So I better start because they'll grab plates out of my hands like, no, let me get that. And I like that. I like that mentality that, you know, they want to work harder because they see that I work hard as well. But on the other side, I am, to a degree, the face of that snooze. So people that know that I'm the GM, they just get a sense of authority when I walk the restaurant. And I think when they see me as guests, they feel as, okay, I can see that guy's in charge. It's not just all this chaos. You know, if, if he seems like he's in control, then the chaos probably is control chaos. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, so it's, I think it's that as well. So, but yeah, 9.30, 1.30, I'm, I just don't stop. It also makes my day fly by. I mean, I blink and it's almost, it's almost over. So, and then that last hour before we close, it's really just trying to kind of wrap up the shift. I mean, so it's cutting staff, trying to maximize on labor at that point, trying to get our restaurant in a place to where you can close efficiently. Again, the biggest thing is if we close at 2.30, there should be no one in that restaurant past four. No one, right. including right. the dishwasher. It's just our whole thing is about being 100% go when you're in the restaurant, giving us your all. But, hey, every day that you walk out of that restaurant, the sun is set up, and you can do whatever it is that you do in your off time. You can be with your family, be with your friends. If you have a second job, you can do that. But we want people to feel that that when they're walking out, they probably have at least half of their day left. And so for me, you know, it's really that last hour, too, it's wrapping up any loose ends. I normally try to talk with every single staff member, like, hey, how was your day? You know, is there anything we could do better today? How are you feeling? Like I said, half of my job is being a psychiatrist to half of these kids. Uh, Literally in the last week, I mean, breakups, mm -hmm. fear about COVID, dealing with parents, dealing with roommates, school. I mean, I've heard it all. And on top of that, I have to run the restaurant. So, right. it's, uh, wow. so I mean, so now even more so, it, it's really checking in on them. Mm -hmm. And not just because I care, but that's that's just who we are as a company and a concept. But that's, I think, what every restaurant should be and what most businesses should be. I mean, if you're working with these people and spending at least half of your life with these folks, it should be some familial relationship that you have. So, you know, I mean, I'm checking in with them even when I'm checking them out, like, hey, what can I do for you? You feeling good? Feeling right? OK, when do you work next? All right, I'll see you then. So it can be anything as far as a 30 second check in to a 30 minute conversation. Normally, if I'm the opening manager and I come in at 530, I'm walking out the door between 230 and three. 
I'm out. Uh, okay. Because, again, I want to make sure that I keep my sanity as well. And, of course, there are right. days I might pull a, even a, a longer day, a 11, 12, 13-hour day. There, I would say with snooze, it's pretty few and far between. But also, I'd like to think that that's a testament on how we just run the restaurant day by right. day. But I try to keep it about 9 to 10-ish hours every day. Like I said, 5.30 okay. to 2.30, maybe push to 3, 3.30 if I have to. And if I'm coming in to close and, you know, 7.30... Then I'm coming in at 7.30 and I'm probably out of the restaurant by 4, 4.30. But that's okay. it. It's a typical day. All right. And then done. You're done with it after that. No meetings no. or anything, you're done. Okay. Nope. No. All right. And then you mentioned a regional manager. I'm guessing that's who you report to. You also mentioned your sous chefs and your assistant general manager. Can you talk about a little bit about the organization? How's it organized? Yeah, absolutely. So we've actually kind of gone a little bit in a slight reorganization within the last, eh, I guess, maybe two, three months. Mm. So traditionally, a snooze was six managers. You had a GM mm. and two AGMs and then a head chef and two sous chefs. And the responsibilities to a degree were divided by the kitchen door. Even though I am in charge of everything, um, I have to be able to trust my head chef that I don't want to micromanage anybody. I want them to be able to come to me and ask questions. But if I give you direction, then I expect you to do it and then we'll follow up. But to micromanage, I might as well just have everybody's salary and do it all myself. And I don't want to do that. So within the restaurant, it's six. Now, within the last two months, two, three months, and this was actually even just before COVID, we as a company have looked at going into a five manager type team, and that being two front of the house managers, so a GM and an AGM strictly, head chef and a sous chef, and then what we call a flex manager. And that flex manager, whether they have a predominant culinary background or predominant front of the house background, they are expected to maybe do a little bit of both. Now, they're not expected to go in and cook but can they run the kitchen? Can they do orders? Do they have enough kitchen experience or training that they could kind of do a little bit of both? Again, you know, if they are primarily kitchen driven or, you know, if their background is in the kitchen, then they aren't really asked to do maybe high level front of the house duties. But can you help run the floor? Can you touch a table? Can you run the host stand? Whatever it may be. So that's kind of what within the restaurants, what we're looking at. And we're still kind of developing that program, cross-training people, things of that nature. Above every GM is a regional who normally has anywhere between, at least right now in our current structure, about four to maybe six restaurants max. Okay. Um, so now my regional manager has six. He has three here in Austin and three in San Antonio. And as we continue to develop, that will absolutely have to change. Um, so when, you know, San Antonio at some point is slated to have at least two more restaurants, Austin, two or three. So at that point, he will not be the regional manager. And more than likely, he lives here in Austin. So whether he moves up a position or whether he just takes over the Austin market, and we, you know, hire somebody else to elevate someone for the San Antonio. But so for right now, they are, I think, six regional managers. Um, there's two in Houston, one in Dallas, one for Austin, San Antonio, two in Colorado, one in California, one in Arizona. And we actually, so actually there might be seven now. We just hired a gentleman, Tim Creedon, who's now um, partly over when we open um, Kansas City and um, Atlanta. Mm. So, um, and so then... With those, you know, I guess seven regional managers, there are there's one 
executive vice or I guess executive regional vice president. And she is essentially over, they'll probably create a second position for this, uh, but she is right now over Colorado, Arizona, California. And at some point, I presume there will be someone over Texas and anything east of that. Um, okay. Just another level of, and then above that, you just have our corporate. And Got of it. course, uh, we have a CEO and president, a COO, a CFO, and our executive vice president of Peeps, as we call her. Um, and those are kind of like the top four. And then there's everybody else that's kind of like a float in between those four C-level executives. And then I guess you can kind of say the executive regional vice president and the regional. So. Got it. Okay. A great breakdown. Thank you for that. Now, let's, let's switching gears a little bit. Let's see. So just listening to you and hearing you out, as far as skill sets, it seems that at least you possess or have to. Is there effective communication, problem solving, multitasking, customer service, even being a psychiatrist at times, uh, so good listener. And, and so with that, what skills and characteristics would you say are needed to be successful in your line of business? Um, really, I mean, a lot of what you just said, I mean, if I had to pick a, let's say a top three, communication is key. And because it's so multifaceted, not only do you have to be a good communicator within your restaurant, so to your immediate subordinates, to your staff, to your guests, but then I have to be able to relay all those things to my regional manager and anybody above him. And so what you find is that, you know, for those that are really good junior managers, uh, AGMs, sous chefs, um, a lot of reasons that they don't get promoted to uh, general manager or maybe a head chef, uh, and even your head chef doesn't really have to have this communications subset, is that they don't know how to communicate up. Through a career in a restaurant, you can almost, you can build your communication skills laterally and down because you start off, let's say in my line, you know, you start off as maybe a server, you become a trainer, you become a, uh, an assistant manager, and then hopefully at some point you become a GM. And that's normally kind of the line. So the entire time, you know how to speak to guests. You become a trainer, you know how to speak to guests, you know how to speak to your, you know, your lateral service, but then you're also training new people, so you're training people to learn what you know. You become an assistant manager, again, lateral and down. You've already got that skill set. But what you see the real dividing line between that and GMs is that they don't know how to communicate upwardly. And so whether it be a professional aspect or they're just uncomfortable talking to their boss, because a lot of times in a restaurant, it can be a very singular job. Even though you might be a part of a team, it's your tables, it's your tips, and yes, you're helping out, but unless you press, you don't really have to talk that much with your GM or with your assistant managers if you don't want to. That doesn't make it to where you have to be and some of the best servers i mean they come in they do their stuff and they leave but again that's all they'll ever be or at least that type of professional to where they're very just within their own box because it's very hard for them to communicate downwardly laterally upwardly so communication is definitely key multitasking has got to be the second one it's just it's so much you have to if you aren't a good multitasker, you will fail very quickly. It's too many things going on, uh, too many unknown variables, along with the known variables that if you cannot prioritize and figure out what your day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year is going to be, or at least have a structure, there's no way you can do it. Um, It's just, it's, you know, 
And even sometimes I was just like, okay, I just need a day off. Let me just kind of think of all of these apps coming up. But I mean, it, it can be, it can be tough. And then I'd say, at least for my particular job with Snooze, it is probably we call it the empathetic uh, leader. Um, and it, it kind of takes both of those into, again, Snooze is a funky place. I say that the reason I'm in this business is because of my experience at Houston's. And if anybody knows Houston's, it is very, it, I mean, it is a very small box as far as everybody has the same uniform. Everybody has the same spiel. Your shirt is not dry clean with the tag. When you come in, you don't work. You know, I mean, it's that, it's that particular. And so I guess like if you had an issue, the, the main thing at Houston was like, well, you're an adult, figure it out. That was the deal. Mm-hmm. You want to go on vacation, figure it out. Get somebody to cover your shifts. If you can't, then you're working. Right. And that was it. You know, and so it taught you a lot of independence. News is pretty much the complete opposite. It is a place where, like I said, we really consider ourselves family. Um, and so, you know, you have to be able to somewhat put yourself in everyone's shoes. And, you know, not to say that you become a pushover, but you have to be, you have to show a certain level or a very high level of empathy to be able to interact with your staff. You know, when you tell people that you want them to be individuals and you want them to express that every day, it's like when I tell people, you know, when I interview people, I look for passion, passion of anything, passion of life, passion of people. I don't care what it is, but that's what I'm looking for. Yes. Do you have to have experience? Absolutely. I don't have time. Our restaurant is way too busy to teach you how to do probably anything except host. But I look for people that are passionate. The problem with that is that it's a double-edged sword. People that are super, super passionate about some things in their life can be just as dispassionate about other things. And so you have to know that that comes with the territory. Somebody that has super, super high highs, when they hit a low, it's not medium. It's super low. And so you have to be able to navigate that, empathize with it, and really try to bring them back to level or even back to that high level of passion. And so, I mean, it's the hardest thing of my job that I find on a day-to-day basis is that I am dealing with just people that are a lot of ups and downs Mm -hmm. as far as emotionally, sometimes physically, definitely just societal. I mean, just everything. And so this, it's probably been the hardest thing probably through this whole COVID issue as well, just because when you know that you're dealing with people that just are, have a high emotional uh, state, any little thing can rock that. And, you know, like I said, I, I have about half of my staff back and I had to start hiring more people and just because of how they, you know, how they felt, you know, what was going on. And so, and I, you know, I talked to probably about 90% of them every week to say, Hey, how are you guys feeling? You know, I know you're still not comfortable, but I just want to check in know that we're always here for you know, that you always have a place. There are not other restaurants that do that. They just aren't Uh, working for for them. You're not, you're not. Um, And what we have tasked ourselves with that snooze is that once a snoozer, always a snoozer. And again, that empathetic leadership is something that, uh, at least in my position at Snooze, if you don't have it, again, working for Snooze is very difficult. It's just you're used to working anywhere else where you just come in, you do A, B, C, D, and you leave. Uh, Snooze is probably not the place for you. And I mean, I've even had that with, you know, with hourly staff. You know, I've had a staff member say, hey, I just wanted to come in and make my money and leave. And I was like, well, you see what our concept and culture is about, and it's not that. And if you want to go, I mean, I'm, hey, I welcome you back as a guest and we'll hook you up and all that type of thing. But understand empathy and being a team player and 
being, you know, kind of buying into this whole family of what we are, that's a big part of what we do. And so, so yeah, I mean, for, for a snooze GM, that's probably the, the, the third component of that big three, you know, communication, multitasking, and then that special snooze empathetic leader is a big one. Okay. Well, I love it. I love the closeness of you and your staff, the individualism and how they're able to express themselves. I love that. All right. And thank you for explaining those skills and characteristics. Now for you, you briefly touched this and I'm really interested in this because there's so many hats of this that you have to wear. Can you talk about the steps that you took to get to where you are? Just having a job that you have to do so many different things, even just talking about the skill sets that you need to obtain. So just talk to me about how you got to where you are, the steps you took. Absolutely. So I'll try to give you a very brief part of at least how I got to my first restaurant. Okay. Yeah. Coming to UC, uh, you know, I was a biology major and everybody thought my family was going to be the first doctor. And I never really kind of took stock of what I enjoyed doing and how I learned and, and what my passions were until I was almost done and decided biology, medicine, not for me. I'm more of a learner. I like being on my feet. I like interacting with people on a day to day basis. I'm sure if I you know, maybe took a step back and I'm sure I could have figured something out maybe. But I ended up going to law school because I was like, well, I need to do something. I need to advance my my education just to open up more doors. And it really wasn't even with the mindset of becoming a lawyer or an attorney. It was just, I know that everything that you can do as a business professional or as a professional has something to do. You're going to run into contracts. You're going to run into civil law. You're going to run into every little thing. And so I think what I learned in law school, again, it was that I love the learning aspect of it because it was very collegial. It was very like talking in groups. It was very, you know, kind of bouncing ideas off of each other. But my first year, and this was probably the turning point, I did an internship by the Department of Justice doing telecommunications antitrust. And if I, if it sounds long, it's probably the most boring work ever <laughs> because literally you're not doing any law. You're just kind of looking at competitive businesses and saying, you have too much in the market, you don't. And this is during, a, I think this is during the Clinton years. So Democratic uh, Department of Justice is definitely looking at, do you have too much? And yeah, it's for what it was, it was interesting, but I literally sat in the cubicle and read documents for about 12 to 14 hours a day. And I was like, I don't want mm. that. Because it was an internship, and I mean, I was still getting paid, but it was very little for what the live in D.C. So I got a restaurant job working at uh, Bet on Jazz. And so this was the fine dining jazz concept for BET, the music channel. And so, you know, Rob Johnson owned it, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson. I mean, if you think of every big African-American athlete, courting artist, actor, whatever, they would either eat there when they were in D.C., they'd throw in a benefit there, whatever. And so it was exciting. But what I loved about it were really two things. One, I love the hustle and bustle. I love that even though it was fine dining and so it was a little scripted, I liked the relationships with the other servers and stuff like that. And these were still professionals. I mean, these people are walking home with, you know, a thousand bucks a week and some of them, especially some of the senior servers and stuff like that. But even more so, my head chef slash GM, his background, he was actually an engineer and so I'm in law school and he liked that about me that this probably at the time he was like, hey, man, you know, I don't know if this is going to be the end spot for you. But so we go out and have a scotch. First time I ever had scotch as a 20, you know, 22, 23 year old. And, and we just talk about life. And he was like, yeah, he's an engineer, went to school for engineering and did that for a couple of years and just realized it wasn't my passion. I love cooking. I love being in the restaurant. 
So I just changed. I just changed my mind and I went that direction. And this is my passion. This is going to be my career until I can't do it anymore. And and it kind of got me thinking, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, now, again, this is my first year in law school. And so I still go through second, third year, finish. But I ended up moving to Miami because my ex at the time was going to law school in Miami. And, you know, somebody had to pay the bills. And far be it from me, I was like, we're probably not going to stay in Florida. So I don't want to take the time to pay for and study for the bar and do all this and then to possibly move in two, three years. So I started working. So I was like, hey, you know, I've worked in restaurants before. I really enjoyed it. And I literally, we lived, I guess, about four blocks from Houston's down in Coral Gables. And I was hired in the first day, which rarely if ever happens. I mean, if you've ever been, like I said, Houston is very particular. Three interviews. It's a week long process, you know, all this type of deal. And I had my three interviews within the first hour and a half that I was there and I was hired and I started the very next day. And from that day forward, I mean, I came into contact people in the corporate structure of Houston's GMs. I mean, it was almost the exact same thing as Chef Terrell, people that were doctors, lawyers, educators, whatever, somehow they had found their way. And of course, there were a couple of people that were actual culinarians, had gone to school for restaurant management, whatever it may be. But there was such a diversity of people that found themselves. And I think that's what Houston's really liked. They had an avenue into the Cornell hospitality program. Like they, I think one of our, like our CFO had graduated from there and he also taught there. So they had that avenue as well, but they really liked to pull people that just found their passion. You know, they were professionals in another way of life, but they realized that their passion was doing food and beverage. And so I think they liked that diversity. And so that for me, I was like, this is what I was meant to do. And so, again, start off as a server. Again, it's that interaction that I had when you finish law school. In your mind, you're a professional, whether you're an attorney or not. You are a professional. And so interacting with other professionals and kind of just feeding on their mind, seeing that they could look at things from a totally different perspective and not just what they learned in a book, but through experience. So every day it was just feeding a little bit more. I would sit down with some of my managers and definitely some of my GMs and just say, hey, when you have a hard conversation, can I just sit in? And so as I developed, I always wanted to be on the hard conversations. I always wanted to tag along with something broke down. How do you work through your process? And I think that taught me that there's not always just an A and a B solution, but sometimes there's a C and a D. Um, Mm -hmm. I had regional managers that I would sit down with that would also kind of work me through their process. They would, I had one regional that literally said he could walk into a restaurant and if they were a hundred percent compliant, at times, and, you know, might really sound like he was a real hard, but excuse my language. I mean, there was one time he saw that they were throwing away the rubber bands that they were getting their produce in. And he just could not find anything else. He was like, hey, guys, why are we not saving these rubber bands and using them in the office? You could save $5 a week buying rubber bands if you just save some of these. And that's the thing. Again, it was like, for him, he just kind of said, you know, sometimes you just have to take getting constructive criticism with a grain of salt. But on the flip side of that, you have to try every single day. You should be trying to get it better in something. Mm -hmm. And in the restaurant, there's a hundred things going on. And so if you're not trying to get better in something, making sure your servers are more efficient, making sure the kitchen is more efficient, doing this, doing that, doing this, then as everybody else is trying to get better, you might think that you're staying steady, but you're actually getting worse because everybody else. So, yeah, I mean, it was 
it was that communication skill that really I think I developed by already being probably a little bit older than some of the people that were working there, having a different mindset that this wasn't a, at one point, I think it was probably six months into working for Houston when I really said, this is what I want to do. So every day it was a step towards getting to my ultimate goal. And I'm still really not there. My ultimate goal is probably to be in that regional manager position or in a corporate team structure where I'm going and training other managers um, and not maybe having to deal with the day-to-day operations. But again, yeah, it's, it's, it's a constant developing of your communication skill set with those that are right in front of you and those that are above you. It's constantly give me more. Every, you know, yeah. after six months at Houston's, I was a trainer and it was probably the fastest that they ever made by anybody a trainer because I was always like, give me more. I want to learn ops. I want to learn invoicing. I want to learn accounting. I want to learn, put me in the kitchen. Again, I don't want to cook, but I want to learn. And when they see that, they understand that, okay, you can take on all of this and still do your job. Okay, let's give you a little bit more. Let's give you a little bit more. So ultimately it was step-by-step. And again, it's always a process. So I went from being a server to a trainer in six months to being what they call a service captain or an hourly manager for Houston in the next six months. And I did that for about two, three years before having to move on to a different restaurant because with Houston's, unfortunately, they you have to be willing to relocate at their whim, anytime. If, that, if you're gonna sign that contract, wow. that's, and I just couldn't do it at the time. Like I said, I was married and you know when she definitely knew she wanted to be attorney, I was like, we can't bounce around from place to place. And I had gone through three GMs with Houston's, who were still with Houston's while I was in Miami at the time. And I was like, this one, my life is going to look like there's no way. So when we moved to Texas and moved back to Houston, I worked for a California pizza kitchen. And it was a drastic step down in pay, drastic step down in at least the upscale nature of the concept, because obviously you're going from Houston's to a place that sells frozen pizzas in the freezer aisle at the store. But the one thing I loved about CPK is that they were organized and you don't have the time. I think it was 203 restaurants worldwide without having a strong corporate structure. And so with Houston's, everything was handwritten, all this type of deal with CPK. It was about modules, online testing, things of that nature. Um, It was very step by step. And so for me, I understood the value of both of kind of what Houston's was looking for perfection, really learning things to the T CPK, there's value in it, but right, to a degree, you can kind of study to the test, but you could just tell there was a structure, and there's a very structure from the top down. After that, I was like, okay, I have to kind of get back into the upscale nature, so I worked for a place called Yard House, and with Yard House, it really taught me as far as dealing with all different types of folks. Houston's a very kind of, you know, I don't want to say a subsect type clientele, but it's a very specific clientele to a degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all dark cherry woods. Your hamburger is 20 bucks. So you're going to kind of take out a lot of folks. CPK, the exact opposite of the spectrum. A lot of kids, a lot of young people. Um, Yard House, um, very much so right in the middle. People that are willing to spend money, people that want to eat, people that want to drink, people that want to have fun, everything. And Yard House is such a unique concept because it's a restaurant by day and it really does feel like a bar after about eight or nine o'clock. So that I've been a bouncer in college and I was like, "Eh, okay, whatever. That was just paying some of the bills. But for me, for sure, it told me that I was built to be a restaurant manager. I did not want to manage a bar, but you still have to learn that skill set as well. And so 
dealing with learning how to run your restaurant, but still deal with people that, you know, want to drink, want to have a good time and all that. Try to work with your staff and have them deal with that. That was probably the most challenging place to multitask because it's Mm -hmm. such a big concept and it has like two or three or four things going on at the exact same time. And then with each of those things going on, you have 10 other things that you have to deal with. And then there are a couple of concepts in between, but I'd probably say it was that buildup from Houston's to CPK to Yard House that really built my skill set for what I wanted to do, how I was going to manage, how I was going to multitask, how I was going to prioritize. And again, it was just step by step by step, learning from those above me, even taking a little bit from those that were below me. And yeah, I mean, we had a team of 10 managers at Yard House. They go six front of the house and four chefs. And I learned something from all nine of them. But yeah, and I pretty much use that to this day here at Snooze. So again, it was just a kind of step-by-step process. But for me, you kind of have to live it to learn it. It's nothing that right. you can book in a restaurant. And that was the big thing. For people that go to culinary school or to hospitality management, you learn a very specific way to do a specific thing. But in restaurants, it's never really that way. So for me, it's always like learning it on the fly. And a lot of times it's making a mistake and learning from that mistake that really teaches you your skills. So. Yeah, getting that practical experience. And it's good. It seems like you didn't force to continue on what path you were on when you were younger. You knew that it wasn't for you. You took a risk and you went for it. And along the way, it seems like you picked up a lot of different things that helped, like you said, build your skill set. So I think that's great. A great story. Now, what do you love about what you do? Um, well, one, it, it, it definitely makes me feel as though I'm young. It's nonstop and is one of those things, you know, I kind of get it probably even from the founder of Snooze. Just I like to work where people love to be. And it was one thing like working, especially for Houston's and Yardhouse and for sure with Snooze. I love that when I say I'm the general manager of Snooze, people are like, oh, my God, I love that place. Like, it is so fun. It's so hard to get into, you know, whatever it may be. So there is a sense of pride as far as just working for a concept that I know has such a high standard and people really do attach to when they've dined there. But, yeah, on the day to day, I mean, I just I love being on my feet and I really love interacting with people. I mean, for me, I'm just a people person. I like to teach. I like to coach. And so even within this construct of being a restaurant manager, I get to experience that every single day, just maybe a little differently than actually being a coach of maybe like a sports team or being a teacher. And I like that the restaurant industry or the hospitality industry, it's pretty tight knit. That's probably the one thing, too. Like I am always in a very kind of I don't want to say in a bad way, but if I can sneak that I work for Snooze in any conversation at another restaurant or at a hotel or somewhere, nine times out of 10, I'm getting hooked up. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I, and, you know, I just even remember like booking hotels. I'm just like, yeah, you know, um, I'll tell people like going to San Antonio or something like that. I'm like, yeah, you know, the general manager of Snooze there in the quarry, uh, you know, just told me that you guys have your service is excellent. By the way, like, oh my God, you work for Snooze? Like, yeah, I'm the general manager. Oh, okay, we're going to upgrade you. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that, and they, and I do the same in kind. When somebody tells me that they work in the restaurant industry or the hospitality industry and they come to Snooze, it is an automatic bond that you have with people that are in charge of taking care of other people, I think. And really, are, it, it's a very interesting industry that you are constantly creating experiences for strangers. 
And I think you, you just share a common bond. So if I had to say at least from an inside the restaurant deal, yeah. I mean, it's the people aspect. It's the being on your feet. I, my gray hairs will probably tell you differently, but I feel as I haven't really aged that much. And yeah, from the outside, I mean, I, I love that I work for a company like Smith, and I just love being a part of this industry because it's just, yeah. it takes a special type of person to really thrive in it. And when you meet other people that are thriving in it, it's an automatic bond in between, in between the two. So. Okay. Now, on the flip side, though, what challenges are out there for you in this line of business? Oh, yeah. Well, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean, that's <laughs> a lot. You know, I think the, I mean, I, I'd probably say the major thing is just knowing that to me, this is probably the most turnover heavy industry in existence. It is just one of those things that the moment you get comfortable, the moment you have a team that you think is just functioning, just, I mean, like you could just, you don't even have to show up to work and you know that restaurant's going to run flawlessly. Somebody gets a manager job here. Somebody wants to go back to school. Somebody has a kid, whatever it may be. And you just don't find that. It's it's just one of those things that, you know, and it happened for me. Like I said, this is, I think, my seventh concept. Um, and hopefully this will be my last because it does check all of my boxes. Snooze to me is kind of like my white elephant or my white well. You know, I, I, I didn't know it existed. But when I found it, I will hold on to it as long as I can. But, yeah, for some, I mean, I know that I might have them for a year maybe three, maybe four, before either someone tries to poach them away. And it's such a team-oriented type business that you know that if you lose one cog, like, yeah, you might be able to find someone that is comparable, or you might be able to develop somebody into that role. Uh, but it just takes a lot. It takes a lot to get to that point. And to me, it's it's always that thought in the back of my mind, like, when is the other shoe going to drop? You know, when is my chef going to be like, hey, I want to go back and stop cooking bacon, egg and pancakes. And I want to start creating sushi. And, you know, yeah. I mean, he has a very high end culinary background. And I'm just waiting for him to say, I want to get back to that. Now, the thing that I know that he loves is that he loves the hours. So that's what right. keep it. But yeah, I think that's the biggest thing as a manager, at least. It's it's hard just knowing that your team this year is not going to look the same next year. And I'm talking about like 50% or more. And mm -hmm. so it's that constant rebuilding. I'm never not hiring. I'm almost always interviewing. Um, even if I'm not actively hiring, I'm always not not hiring. Um, right. That's the thing. You know, it's it's hard because to a degree... There's no long-lasting stability. There yeah. might be stability, but it's ne it's never really long-lasting. So that's really the hardest thing. But like I said, really, uh, for Snooze, I mean, outside of that, there, there haven't really been too many other negatives. Yep. Working for those other concepts, I mean, the late nights, they'll kill you. I mean, they just, yeah. when you have a, when you're married and you have kids and knowing that your earliest maybe getting out is seven, eight, nine o'clock, and that's at a, that's on the earliest side, you know, if you're yeah. working traditional lunch dinner restaurant you have to schedule a day off just to have dinner that's rough psychologically and emotionally at least if you are in a community of people that you want to be around thank god i don't really have to think about that anymore you know All the right. only thing i ever have to think about are holidays which are you know they're, they're a little difficult sometimes because holidays people want to celebrate where we are and i want to be in my restaurant when we're busiest so those are a little difficult but realistically like i said i have every single night I always tell my managers and some even my staff, if you really love football, you might have to DVR it um, because, yeah. you know, Saturday and Sunday mornings, hey, hopefully somebody's playing that you really like Sunday night. But uh, <laughs> but it's hard. It's hard. You know, there right. are little things 
that you have to give up that normal Monday through Friday nine to fivers don't even have to think about. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, weekends you definitely have to think about it snooze. Uh, but yeah, for me the number one thing is just the the instability of the industry. Okay. Uh, that yeah, I mean just it's it's turnover rich and it's just gonna happen. So. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And uh, so, can you tell me your most memorable moment you've had? Mm. I mean, I, I think at Snooze, it probably was, to tell you the truth, it might have even been the birth of my daughter. And, and this is our way to say that when it comes to the restaurant. Well, actually, no, let me fast forward. The, my daughter's one-year birthday, actually, probably had to be it. So when Taylor was born, I was still working at this restaurant in North Italia. Great restaurant, great concept, great company. But it's a lunch to dinner. Open at 10, close at 10, close at 11 on the weekends. And so her first six months, I just wasn't home. So I had like all the 4 a.m. feedings, you know, if I took the ball in there, whatever. That 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 was one thing that my wife was definitely like, that's you. You're not going to be home until 10 o'clock, you know, most nights. But yeah, you know, it was hard. I mean, I, I remember just, you know, saying something's got to change. And, and so... I'll tell you, well, actually, I'll tell you uh, now that I think about it. The one-year birthday was awesome just because, again, from six months to about to that one year, I didn't miss anything. And I actually remember, I remember to this day, I was sitting in North Lamar where I'm the GM now, but I was training. So this is probably mid-September. Taylor is, I guess, yeah, probably about like six, seven months. And or actually, maybe about four or five months. Uh, she was born in May, but my wife texts me and says, hey, Taylor just turned over for the first time. And the chef, I remember to this day, I, I text him like, oh, man. And he says, hey, what's going on? He's like, uh, you know, tell him like, oh, my wife just texted me that my daughter turned over for the first time. And he's like, dude, go home. Like, go home and spend spend time. I'll see you tomorrow. And I, my mind was blown. Um, <laughs> it was the first time that I truly realized that they do not just talk the talk as far as being like, hey, this this job, this, you know, this concept, this company is about, yes, when you're here, being with family and all that type of thing, but we are really about what goes on outside the restaurant and being, you know, with your family, being with your friends, having a quality of life outside of this restaurant. And so I remember that day and literally, I mean, up until that first birthday and really having people celebrate and be like, you know, man, we want to see pictures and all this. Type of, it was like the restaurant was almost secondary to them, even though I was managing it. And, you know, it just it was just it was a big deal to mm-hmm. see that that they were willing to celebrate, even if it was, quote unquote, I guess you can say to the maybe detriment of the restaurant. But mm-hmm. that's what really showed me <laughs> that this is what Snooze is about. And so um, and it, it's really driven everything that I've done here in the company. And, and I see that constantly through the things and the initiatives that we do uh, within the company. But yeah, there's little things when you hire somebody and they get promoted. I mean, you know, one of my AGMs right now, I initially hired him as a food runner. And mm-hmm. I just saw, I mean, he's a smart guy, college educated, had his degree, but he just had no restaurant experience whatsoever. And so we hired him on because he was passionate. You know, I think probably about four or five months later, promoted him to be a servant. And he did the exact same thing that I did. He was always wanting to talk with me. Why is it that you do what you do? You know, how did you get to where you are? And I think maybe about six months after that, we promoted him to an AGM. And to see his track and kind of see me reflected in that or him reflected in me or how we want to look at it has been really, really rewarding. Just because, yeah, I mean, this can be that way for a lot of different people if that's what your passion is. You know, like mm-hmm. I said, the restaurant industry, it can be a, a middle 
ground for a lot of different people. But for some, when you're able to really hone in and that's your passion, and then you can exercise that and yet still have a life outside of work, yeah. it's been a big deal. And really, I'm living high points almost every single day. You know, I mean, yes. it's, it's great being the GM and writing my own schedule. That's awesome. But, but yeah, <laughs> being able to, I pick up my daughter probably three or four times a week because my wife works late sometimes and stuff like that. Had I worked in a traditional restaurant, that would right. never happen, like right. ever. So, yeah, I mean, it's really just a pleasure to know that I can do this and still be a great and present dad and husband and son and brother and all that. So, yeah, it's a godsend for me. So. Right. Nice. Well, it's good to hear the story. Good to hear uh, basically a mentee of yours, see him taking those steps and growing. And then to also hear about the closeness and family values or spirit of the restaurant as well. All right. So we're at the end of the interview. I want to ask you some quick hitter questions to get people to get to know you better. But is there anything additional that you want to add? Uh, I know I'm pretty verbose. So I think I've said it all. Nah, man. I mean, I, I love what I do. Um, like I said, you know, um, it took a little while to find it and really snooze found me. I guess we kind of found each other about the same time because really at the time that I was like, hey, I've got to I don't want to do a Monday through Friday, nine to five. That's just not who I am. And I was looking for that spot and they just happened to kind of pluck me out of the air. Yeah. I mean, it's just really been everything that I've really looked for. And not to say that it's perfect by any means, but being able to really do what I'm passionate about and still be able to do things that I'm passionate about outside of my profession and have that balance is uh, is really, like I said, a godsend. So, Yeah, that's perfect. I love hearing about people doing things that they're passionate about. That's great. And then being able, like you said, to getting off it for it, do whatever you want afterwards, picking up your child, coaching, doing whatever. I think that's awesome. So, all right. So let's get into these quick hitter questions. All right. Yep. All right. What is your favorite sports team? Got to be my Steelers. Got to be my first place. Yes, indeed. All right. What's your favorite movie or show? Uh, Love some Blackish. Love it. Mm. Uh, Definitely. I mean, it's just awesome. I find myself either laughing out loud to where my stomach hurts or crying probably almost every other episode. Um, But yeah, so Black is as far as my favorite show. I love too many movies, but there's only one movie that stands out in my mind. And I saw it back in 1998, I think, Mm. 98, 99. And it was Armageddon. I don't know what it is about that movie, but Mm. it just holds a special place in my heart. So, All right. Blackish and Armageddon. Okay, good mix. All right. What's your favorite musical artist or group? Um, I mean, I'm a I'm a 90s guy, but I, if I had to pick anybody now, it'd probably be two artists. I mean, I love some Bruno Mars. I just, I, I mean, I love the ballads. I love the happy music. Uh, probably been the best concert I've ever been to. Um, but if I'm listening, like if I'm working out, I, I love some Kendrick Lamar as well. There's something about his flow, his message. I mean, whether it's you know, political or just, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, but yes, yeah, probably my top two artists. But, you know, every, every once in a while, I got to go back to my 90s R&B and rap and, you know, kind of reminisce. So, yep. Yes, sir. All right. Favorite vacation spot? Uh, stateside, New Orleans. I mean, it's it is a special place in my heart. I've been way too many times and every time it's a little something different. Uh, if it's international, it's probably a tie between Paris and Rome. But I, yeah. I'm a city guy. I yeah. do not. I mean. I'm not trying to get a tan, so I'm not trying to lay out on a beach. Uh, I need to be in city, restaurants, bars, museums. That That's what I love. New Orleans has a ton of them, and so do, yeah, yeah. Paris and Rome have probably been my top two international favorites. So. All right. 
And then lastly, what's your favorite food or drink? Oh, um, I always used to say that I'm an Italian trapped in a black man's body when it comes to food. Um, <laughs> anything that, I mean, there's just something about Italian food that is robust. I mean, give me a good tomato sauce, but really just low and slow. Now, if I had to have one food for the rest of my life, it'd probably be barbecue. That's my dad and me. He brought home barbecue at least twice a week. And so that is, I'm actually, once we get off this call, I'm going to go to this place called Slab Barbecue to get lunch. Okay. Uh, and drink, drink of choice. If I'm out on a patio, it's a margarita. If I'm mm. sitting at home and I want to make my own drink, it's an old-fashioned. I cannot. Oh, yes. If I'm sitting home with an old-fashioned hand, I've had a really good day. So. Yeah, I love the old fashions. All right. So I want to thank you for coming on to the podcast. Really appreciate that. And is there any way that people can contact you? And can you tell everyone again the Snooze AM Eatery that you're working at? Absolutely. So uh, Snooze AM Eatery on 3800 North Lamar in Austin, Texas. Uh, again, we're probably about a mile and a half from the university. Um, you can always reach me via email. Easiest email for me is just byroncholden at gmail.com. But even on, on my business card for Snooze, it's my cell phone's on there, too. I don't mind if anybody calls. Again, I'm a people person. So, you know, my cell phone, 512-648-9209. If you, you know, have any questions about the industry, about my passions, anything like that, hey, just give me a holler. If I don't know your number, I might not pick up, but I'll always return yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Byron. Appreciate it, man. Have a good one. All right, RJ. You too, Chief. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.